everybody. Welcome to episode four of the podcast whose name I desperately want to change. Um, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask my guest. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Coffey's with us today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, everybody. It's uh, it's good to be back. It's been two years in the making. Yeah. Uh, it's episode one of the reboot of Coffee Talks Games. Correct. On that topic, because you're you're pretty good with names. I want a new name for this podcast desperately. I need something. I need anything. You're putting me on the spot. And on the spot. Hmm. Talking games with Christo? You know what? <laughs> That's just unique enough to work. Like someone's gonna someone's gonna say, like, oh, I got you uh talking games with Christo, and they're gonna be like, You couldn't get entertainment tonight. <laughs> Well, you know, it's been two years uh, since I've been on this podcast. It's, it has you been. You know, it's also been two years since you last were doing podcasts, and yeah. now you're back. It's been two um, years since I've spoken to you. That's also not. That's not true. That's I not saw true. you. Wow. I saw you last weekend. Stop it. Um, but uh, a lot has changed in the video game industry, and actually, very little has changed. I, I feel like we're kind of still roughly in the same area as we were two years ago. We were, which. We'll get into a lot of specifics about that because a big portion of this episode is going to be our E3 uh, discussions. E3 is merely two weeks away, and there's a lot to go over in that time. Um, but we'll get to that later. First, like we start every episode, is some quick news. Um, first story I want to say, this is a lot of the times the quick news just kind of reacts to the overall Internet's perception of things and just kind of breaking it down. Usually people overreact to things. And what I saw... Earlier this week, was it? Or was it a little bit later last week? Whenever it was. It was the um, the Kotaku article that the next Call of Duty is going to be a reboot. It's going to be a Modern Warfare reboot. And everyone was screaming hollering that the next Call of Duty is bon- like, it's just going to be called Modern Warfare. Like they've never seen a reboot before. Very silly. Do you have anything to add on that? I mean, well, first of all, I'm not going to get worked up over this. Because, I mean, I'm not really a huge Call of Duty fan. Right. Um, so... It's not something that I'm going to get annoyed by, but I almost feel kind of like the angry video game nerds, uh, chronologically confused. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just video games and movies nowadays, they they just tend to go all over the place with the naming and the numbering. And I, I kind of get the whole idea of wanting everything to be more standardized. Like, why can't you just number these correctly? Because now it's like... Now we have Call of Duty Modern Warfare. It's like, now you have to put a 2019 in front of it, you yeah. know, in parentheses. It's a Mortal Kombat 9 fiasco. Yeah, it's just like, to me, it's just needlessly aggravating. But, I, again, it's just, I don't think it's going to be a big deal at the end of the day. But Because I think we're, we've become so used to this kind of naming now. Where we're so used to, you know, movies and TV shows just kind of reusing the same name like to use an example of a movie i think one of a one of those examples is ghostbusters i mean mm-hmm. they re they created this new ghostbuster series and they just called it ghostbusters right and it's like well that movie already exists and it's yeah. not like you're not um doing a remake of it it's a it's a totally new movie with a new cast and new characters so it kind of muddies the waters where it's like okay so we have ghostbusters and then we have Ghostbusters. Right. And I, I get that that could be very confusing for people. Um, but it yeah. is what it is. That's just how the industry is. Correct. 
I'll tell you what else about the industry that I'm actually like I'm pretty in favor for this decision. It's not confirmed yet, but rumblings in that same article uh, point to this being free to play, mm. which is interesting. Um, well, I mean, free to play is is the way to go nowadays. I mean, look at the success of a game like Fortnite. Um, you, you know, no matter what your opinion of the game is, um, you cannot knock that model. No, of course um, not. It is. It, you can't beat Fortnite right now because it's free to play mm -hmm. um if you're not making their game free to play it's gonna be really hard to contend right. um especially because they want to get into this market of like doing competitions and having like an esports league and all these things and it's like making it uh more easily accessible is a big big boost um and you think know, about the biggest competitor to Fortnite in the last few months was apex legends and apex has fallen off bad patches um you know people have already gotten sick of it Right. And it's amazing how quickly it fell off. And, and but it was free. Yeah, and that exactly. And it's been free since launch. And in that first week, it was really the only thing that's ever really yeah. in Fortnite's I mean, launch. I can I can bring up an example of a game you know that I'm more familiar with, um, Planet Side Arena, which was the upcoming. Well, it might be dead now already. Um, it was going to be a. Uh, they were going to have a number of different modes. They were going to have capture the flag. They were going to do a three man squads, kind of like a Fortnite or Apex Legends and stuff like that. But they were going to charge money for it. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It died before the game even officially came out. I mean, that game's probably not coming out at this point. Right. And it's just like, they didn't go with the free-to-play model, and it was just dead on arrival. And Planetside 2, conversely, is a free-to-play game. Mm -hmm. That no matter how bad the game had gotten for the last few years, it was still free-to-play. People mm -hmm. could just jump in if they wanted to play it. When you, make your, when you charge for a game, especially shooters now, it's really a tough sell, yeah. especially when you're trying to do things like like a Fortnite or an Apex or something like that. It makes it even harder when you're paying, charging money for it. And think of a free-to-play uh, experience with the Call of Duty name that people are already so familiar with. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's something to be said for the way Black Ops 4 was packaged without a campaign, big focus on the Battle Royale mode in addition to like the team death matches and stuff like that. I think something happened along the lines where they're like, if we're not going to make this the roundabout experience that we've been doing the past couple of years, then we would probably make more money in the free-to-play market anyway. Yeah. Because it's oh, tough. It's, it's tough to get people to buy a $60 product, you know, and Black Ops 4 got discounts real quick. Yeah. Really, really quick. Like, a week after the holidays. Quicker than any other Call of Duty that I've seen. Well, there's enough... There's, honestly, especially with a game like Call of Duty, a franchise like that, there's enough whales that can prop that up as a free-to-play model. There's mm -hmm. enough people that'll buy skins, they'll buy models, they'll buy emotes, they'll buy all that stuff. You know, as long... But the thing is, the gameplay has to be fun. Right. I, I mean, that's really at its core. You know, Apex Legends came right out of the woodwork, and everybody seemed to be crazy about it. They were like, this is it for Fortnite. They love the mechanics, they love the gameplay, they love the gunplay, which is so important, it's so vital for a shooter. And then, you know, the last couple of patches, Apex has fallen right off the face of the earth. That's uh, a shame. You know, it's but that's, you, you don't make the game fun anymore, people are just going to drop it. Yeah. You know? And I, I couldn't even say whether or not I agree, because I haven't played it, which again, that's a statement in and of itself. So, that's it about that. Uh, next we're going to go to, so it's funny that we... I talked in the last episode about the Mario Maker 2 Direct and how ambitious I thought it was and how it was like one of the first signs of real life in Nintendo's software lineup this year. And you can't uh, you can't spell Nintendo without 
taking a having a really good idea and then taking a shotgun to one of your legs. Mario Maker 2 online co-op um is not you cannot play that with friends. And I just it is it doesn't it's not necessarily permanent because there was the thing with the last Mario Maker that they were only going to unlock new course materials like every other week and they saw the reaction that was getting they're like no 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 okay we're fine fine you're right bad idea don't worry about it i don't think it's permanent i think it's boneheaded uh i think it's inexcusable because people pay for online now you know oh yeah no it, it, you're yeah. especially with the switch now when you're paying for an online service why don't you have online co-op for this this is a this is a game that can be a big seller on your on your console mm-hmm. there should be online co-op Mm-hmm. The, uh, to me, it, it almost feels inexcusable. You're pushing and promoting the idea of having this co-op mode in Mario Maker 2. And then you go, oh, wait, you know that online service you pay for? You can't actually use it with this game. And and trust me, I like playing with friends in person. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes our schedules don't align. Oh, of course. And we could just be like, hey, want to get on and play some levels on Mario Maker 2? You know, we have an online service for that reason. Right. But it doesn't work for that. And I don't want to chalk this up to the service being bad because I know that's kind of an easy target for people. But, but, like, the infrastructure to play with friends in Mario Kart 8, the infrastructure to play with friends in Smash Ultimate, in uh, online games that aren't even Nintendos, like the aforementioned Fortnite, Paladins, etc., etc., it's there. This is strictly a design decision that I, that I, I sometimes wish that the people who think they know best in the big white building in Tokyo can just like kind of take a step back and think like, okay, this is just a silly restriction for no reason with enough outcry. And let me specify re like level headed outcry and reasonable outcry. This can likely be patched. This could, Oh, this is easily patched. This is something that can be easily patched. It's just a matter of whether or not they do it. I think they do. Um, I think this is, this was a stupid thing. That's just going to fuck them up out of the gate. It, it can be easily patched. Um, I, I'm just not holding my breath on it uh, because Nintendo will just do what they want to do. Um, people can complain about you know the way Nintendo acts and the way that they do uh, their games, but they they do it how they want to do it, and that's final. Um, I don't think they're really going to listen to fan outcry over that, uh, and I think it's perfectly valid outcry. I, I mean, you want to play with your friends, yeah. right? You want to play with them as much as possible. For sure. And I think that this is a missed opportunity for Nintendo um, because of the fact that we've seen, you know, Mario Maker 1. Uh, this came out on a system that did not have a very big base. Wii U is not exactly a hot seller. Um, and yet Mario Maker 1 had a very, still has a very dedicated fan base. Yeah. And, and that's, even when you think about the fact that we've had the Mario hack community uh, on PC for way longer than Mario Maker's existence, where people were making different kinds of maps to play on PC, you know, and even with all of that, Mario Maker 1's community was still thriving. And you, you're losing an opportunity of grabbing even more people, uh, in my opinion, by not having that online co-op. Because... Yeah, there's still going to be a lot of people playing, and there's probably going to be a lot more people buying this game because Switch is more accessible. But you're missing out on that market opportunity of having co-op modes, of you know, because then players are going to start thinking about doing maps for co-op in mind and team play, and not everybody's going to be able to get together and and play that in person. 
you know like right. younger younger kids will have it easier for people like us it's going to be a little bit harder to do that right you're right though there is something to be said about and this is just me i like that the design philosophy is clearly around like the experience of the kid who wants to play this game is like oh let's go over like timmy's house and play mario maker 2 and it's just a shame that i mean this is just for me it's a shame that realistically the the pace of this announcement from the game's announcement in the direct in february until now everything about this looked looked aces until this and it just feels like there always has to be this one thing regardless of whichever nintendo first party thing it is that you got to just kind of stop and scratch your head at it's just the one thing that's it it's all all you have to do it's just it's 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 two steps forward one step back for them sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back for nintendo but that's always what it is it always feels like no matter what strides they make they always kind of fall back down because of their own decisions. And mm-hmm. this this comes down strictly to their own decision-making. This has nothing to do with any outside influence. This is their own doing. Mm-hmm. So they're making their bed with that. And I, I, I personally don't think they're going to patch it in. But I could be wrong. But yeah. I just think Nintendo's too hard-headed, they're too stubborn, and I don't think that they would change that. Well, here's hoping they do. Game still looks dope, though. Uh, let's talk about Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Um, you were the guy I wanted to bring on for this because you are probably my friend most well-versed in comics. And I feel like there are some inclusions about this game. Never mind this game's just existence because it's the first Marvel Ultimate Alliance game in like 10 years. Yeah, 2009 was Ultimate Alliance 2. Yeah, and I since then we've had some ups and downs um, with some Marvel licenses. Um, yes, I'm bas- well aware of that. Yes. Uh, case in, ba- basically, the biggest example is the X-Men have been shunned and like not given the light as much as they... Uh... Well, as Capcom likes to put it, um, you know, nobody even knows who the X-Men are. The movies haven't been around in forever. And, uh, you know, Magneto, he's just a function. You know, why, why would you want to play as Magneto when you could play as a, somebody like Nova? He does the same things that Magneto does. You know, it's just... The X-Men have taken a step back, a big step back, um, mostly because of the movies. Yeah. The popularity of the MCU um, put the um, the X-Men on the back burner. Um, and they were really going to try and push the Inhumans um, in both the comics and, and other media. They were going to try and push the Inhumans uh, pretty much as the next mutants. Mm-hmm. And that kind of failed spectacularly. Um and uh, now that Disney owns the X-Men, they're back in the fold. And hmm. for good reason. I mean, yeah. the X-Men are easily the most well-known Marvel property around. Um, and now that they're back in the fold, we're going to see a lot more of them. Um, it's For me as a fighting game fan, it's just unfortunate that we had to see Marvel Infinite with no X-Men. Because uh, that game is really bad. <laughs> And made even worse by the fact that we don't have any of the X-Men characters that we know and love. However, Ultimate Alliance 3, it's got some X-Men in it. It's got a lot of X-Men in it. Sure does. Yeah. Um, I don't... I can't personally confirm this, so I won't even say it. There are just a lot of X-Men characters. My, po- my point of comparison was going to be that there were X-Men characters in this game that have not been in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 or 2. The only example I can really think of that... Where if that is even close to true would be Nightcrawler, 
because I saw Nightcrawl on that trailer and he is playable and that's and that's pretty that's pretty insane. Yeah. Well, they did release the full roster for Ultimate Alliance three. Well, as far as as far as we know, yeah. this is what they claimed to be the full roster. Um, but I I I believe that there is a good chance we get DLC characters. Yeah. Um, you know, in the past we had these you know um, console specific characters that they had, but since this is Switch exclusive, yeah, there's no real reason to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in its place they might do DLC. Right. Um, I, I could definitely see that being a possibility, but you look at the roster. Um, the roster is really almost exclusively MCU. Um, I can't really think of too many MCU characters that they haven't touched. Um, in terms of superheroes, um, but they have a lot of a, a lot of uh, great character selection in that game. I think there's a lot of diversity. Um, a lot of the newer characters um, that people that enjoy the MCU uh, have come to love and I think that that's a big thing for this game Uh, whether you are a fan of the MCU or not um, there's a lot of people that love the MCU and I think that because this game is going to be more kind of MCU centric it's a good launching point for people that have never played Marvel Ultimate Alliance that they're going to get an opportunity to get into this game because they're saying, oh, like these are all my favorite characters from the movies. Mm-hmm. Now I get to like play them in a video game and I get to just go and beat up people with those characters. I yeah. think that's a big, big boost for that game that it's going to be MCU-centric. And I think, regardless, Marvel wanted it to be MCU-centric because that's what they're promoting. But yeah. I think it's a good boost for Ultimate Alliance. Yeah, say what you will about the MCU. I know I have, I have been wavering in my affection for it or in the past. Um it's hard to ignore the type of success it has uh, carried with it as far as just bringing these, what used to be like C-list and D-list characters, not only into the mainstream, but bringing them back to the face of the whole company in a new way. Like Iron Man was like kind of a, like not, I don't want to yeah, say like a gimmicky character, a, you, but he, he was, was kind of a... He's he was, a C-grade. Yeah. And he is, hero. you can't imagine Marvel without Iron Man no, right now. No. He's the top two. He's, he's one of the faces of Marvel. And yeah. um, before the MCU, he was certainly not that. He was a C-grade superhero. His rogues gallery was not that impressive ever, really. Uh, and yet, the MCU has made him one of the most popular and well-known characters in Marvel. Yeah. And and that and how about some of the other characters that are going to be in uh, Ultimate Alliance three? Talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy characters, even more obscure than Iron Man. Yeah. They are household names. They're beloved. Like that is the power of that that movie universe. Whether you like the the Disney juggernaut or not, you gotta say they made some obscure characters really popular in the mainstream and on the topic of the disney juggernaut you gotta want to be a fly on the wall in some of these meetings sometimes because i i watched a video of like somebody recorded on their phone the uh marvel and the mcu phase three announcement showcase where they basically revealed like the whole lineup of movies and this is at the time when the march 2019 or 2018 movie was slated to be the inhumans and that was before it got moved to a TV show. They were all in on the Inhumans. And I have to wonder, at some point in time, because the Inhumans are also in this alongside the X-Men. Yeah. Um, I have to wonder, at some point, like, did somebody at Disney know, or I'm sorry, did somebody at Marvel know that Disney was looking to acquire Fox? Uh, like, you know what? Just give it, the Inhumans thing might not be the best move after all. Just give it a show. And then the show wound up being shit anyway. Because there are reports that, like, they 
Kevin Feige didn't like what they were doing on the movie, so he's like, you know what, let's just do the show. But the show was on FX and it was run by different people. And I I don't know. I feel like a lot of what is happening now in the grand Marvel universe that is trickling into Marvel Ultimate Alliance, I feel like is a direct result of a lot of top like top secret Disney meetings. That it's just I, I it's it's the machine kinda like it's the machine running in ways that that you're right. It's it's it it's kind of scary to think of like the giant Disney conglomerate. Oh, I mean they're a, they're they're a total monopoly in the yeah. media industry, and uh, and you're right. I mean they they have so much control over every one of their characters, and it's understandably so. Mm-hmm. When you have that much power and influence, and you don't want your characters to be used in the wrong way, and, and I think that's kind of where you know a game like Marvel Infinite. Uh, failed Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite failed um, was because I think there was too much influence from Marvel um, and Disney in general um, that Capcom was not able and and even though Capcom's fighting division fighting game division has not been that great in the last couple of years I think that made it even harder for them to to work on a good game because you're being stifled by Disney's demands you know and and they are very adamant about the way their characters are used. Let's stick on that fighting game topic for a minute. Next bit of quick news: um, Combo Breaker. Give me some. Uh, give me some Combo Breaker thoughts. You are a resident fighting game expert. Um, I don't know if I'm an expert, but I, you know, I, I am a, a fighting game enthusiast. Um, I watched Combo Breaker over the weekend. Of course, uh, I mean this is one of the top fighting game tournaments of the calendar year, uh, and this year it was. Right now, it's going to be hard to top this year. Uh, Combo Breaker was definitely one of the fighting game tournaments of the year. I'm going to give three uh, shout-outs in particular for Combo Breaker. These are my three shout-outs. The first one, uh, Dragon Ball Fighters. Um, this is a game that had a ton of momentum behind it right out of the gate. Um, right at the end of Season 1, the game completely fell off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Bad patches. Mediocre DLC announcement for Season 2. Um, then the really awkward uh, scenario where Toei was banning uh, tournaments from streaming Dragon Ball Fighters, uh, and the game just kind of fell off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, this tournament at Combo Breaker, though, was a really strong tournament. Uh, at one point, I saw over 33,000 people were watching it, which was really strong numbers for Combo Breaker. Um, so I'm thinking with the hype that was behind it at this tournament... Maybe it's going to make a comeback because Evo's numbers in particular were pretty weak for Dragon Ball Fighters this year in terms of entrance. Maybe this will be a big boost. Maybe people will realize that the game is still that good. They're going to want to get back into it, but the jury's still out on that. But that tournament was great. Real quick, before you move on to the next one, how are... um because I'm not that familiar with the overall meta. How are the new Season 2 uh, characters actually melding with the rest so, of them? So, uh, Videl was pretty popular... Um, right out of the gate, but the one character I'd say that has become a big fixture uh, is GT Goku. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, is very good. A lot of the top players have been using GT Goku. Uh, I, I, me personally, I hate GT Goku's inclusion in the game, but in terms of gameplay, is actually very fun. So, but it's just a, it's another Goku, and yeah. that's part of that mediocre season two DLC. You know, Videl was a strong character choice. I wanted Videl in there, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the great Saiyan assist. Right, um, Jiren. I knew Jiren was going to be in there because you know he's the big you know villain quote unquote of Dragon Ball Super's last arc, so I knew he'd be in there. 
you have the movie characters for the Broly movie just are so whatever. Technically another form of Goku. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Then you have the GT And Goku. another form of Broly. We got two yeah. Brolys before we get PyCon. Yeah. And, stop, I wish I could get PyCon. <laughs> well, the rumor of the last DLC character is Janemba. Which is a character I have been, which is a character I have been lobbying for. I'm a huge Janemba guy. If he's in there, that's a big, big addition for me. Um, I I'm still holding out for PyCon though. Love PyCon. I'm hoping he gets in. Such a fucking cool character. Uh, My second shout out, Tekken Seven. Without a doubt, Tekken Seven is the hypest fighting game around. It is unbelievable. As a spectator, it's one of the best fighting games to watch. And I'm not a 3D fighter. I, I'm not particularly good at Tekken, Soul Calibur, Dead or Alive, I can't, Virtual Fighter. I can't say I'm really like the best at those kinds of games. But watching it, oh my god, it is the most exciting gameplay around. The top eight for Tekken Seven, a combo breaker this year. The crowd was going nuts for everything everything and the best part the competitive balance of this game right now oh there's it was it felt like it was being dominated by a very small amount of players but now it feels like way more wide open the balance of the game feels great the action is great and combo breaker brought the hype for tekken 7 so shout outs to tekken 7 for continuing to be the best fighting game in the fgc it definitely is a is a really entertaining game to watch i don't really watch that many fighting game tournaments like i watch uh i watch the dragon ball stuff at evo i watch some of the stuff for the next game you're going to talk about i think um but i do watch some tekken 7 like i watched a tekken 7 tournament at pax east a couple of years ago it's just it's so incredibly fun to watch oh no it's it, it's by far it's by far in my opinion it's one of the hardest games to get into for fighting games yeah but in terms of just watching it in terms of just viewership it is the easiest game to watch it is just so exciting. The top eights are every single match is always hype. It's always good. I mean, last year, to me, top eight of Evo for Tekken 7 was one of the best fighting game tournaments I've seen. Just just the top eight of Tekken 7 at Evo last year. And, and this year, Combo Breaker was phenomenal. And I expect, you know, the next couple, because right now, the Tekken World Tour is starting to really heat up. This is the next couple of months are going to be really big for that. You're going to see even better action for Tekken Seven, and I'm very excited for that. Um, my last shout out, my third one, Mortal Kombat Eleven. Yep. I am by no means a combat fan. I've never really been a big combat guy. Combo Breaker was the event for Mortal Kombat. It was fantastic this was the event uh this game had the most entrance at combo breaker so it got main event billing it closed out the night on sunday uh and rightfully so the the entire tournament itself was really great i i gotta give um nether realm a lot of credit um because uh they have their own twitch stream and what they've been doing now twitch has added a lot of extra add-ons uh that uh help the viewer and so they have a, uh, a glossary where you have all the different terms of the fighting game community. So if you're new to Mortal Kombat or you're just kind of new to the more competitive scene, you can understand all the lingo that they're using, all the, the slang terms that they're using um, to describe the action, which is great. They have a lot of information on the players. They put the bracket up there for you. Uh, they do a really good job of making it informative for the player. And I think that the tournament itself was great. 
but um, better than the tournament, Saturday night they had Florida versus Texas. It was the uh, first to ten. It was a uh, pretty much just bragging rights on the line. I mean, this was uh, a, a event full of pop-offs, shit-talking, amazing combos, just great action. Uh, and ultimately, Florida took a 10-9. It was so close right to the end. Um, and especially uh, Texas, uh, this player, young player Deoxys, uh, they were, uh, Texas was down 9-6 when he got on there. And he made it 9-9. Uh, before losing to uh, Samij in the last game. But he was unbelievable in that lead-up. It was just some of the best Mortal Kombat you're going to see because the crowd is so into it. Everyone's talking shit on each other the whole time. They're all popping off. Mortal Kombat 11, this game right now, I think is going to be one of the top games in fighting games right now. It's it's, And I'm not a combat guy, so there's really no bias when I say this. It is a legitimate game, and I think it's just going to get better from here. What do you think is the last ability for Mortal Kombat, though? Because I feel like NetherRealm fighters kind of, they're really, really hot for the first six months, and then they have a, sh- have a steep fall-off. See, that is the that is the biggest problem. Uh, the NRS cycle is so unforgiving. Uh, I mean, we saw Mortal Kombat 10, which was an incredibly popular game in terms of sales, in terms of viewership. I mean, there's still strong lobbies for uh, Mortal Kombat 10 right now. Um, and it just, it dies after almost one year, it's just dead. And it, it, it doesn't make sense because the game still has strong online communities. Uh, it's still got a lot of support, but for some reason, in terms of its competitiveness, it just dies. And the same thing happened with Injustice 2 comes out one year later. It just feels like the game's dead. I think MK11 is going to be a little different though. Because I think NRS is taking this very seriously. They're pumping money into the competitive scene. And I think that they're putting a, a little more effort uh, into supporting the community than they did in previous years. And they and they treated Injustice 2 very well, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it feels different. It feels different. I could be wrong because NRS's track record is to essentially give up after a year. Even though they keep pumping out DLC and everything like that, it always feels like they kind of give up after a year of competitiveness. So... Um, it remains to be seen, but it, it kind of feels like they're treating this differently uh, this year. It feels like they're putting a lot more effort uh, into keeping this game alive for the next couple of years at least. Well, that's good. It's always good when you have an, uh, a really solidly made Western fighter thrown in the mix. especially Oh, for ter- sure. Yeah, especially in tournaments with a lot of games by Bandai Namco and Arc System Works. Everybody learns from each other. It's a nice melding of ideas. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Combo Breaker... Uh, this past weekend had uh, Skullgirls as well, which is a Western fighter mm-hmm. and still, you know, has an amazing community, a grassroots community that will not give up on that game. And for good reason. It's a, 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 such a technically sound game. I personally think it looks great um, visually uh, and it's just fun to watch, um, even though Sonic Fox at Combo Breaker pretty much just wiped the floor with everybody. Uh, it was still a great tournament. Yeah, he did. Um, and even a game like Killer Instinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, Killer Instinct is really... Um, it's it's hurt by the fact that it's pretty much Microsoft exclusive. Yeah. Um, because there is such a strong grassroots community with Killer Instinct. They're still playing that game. They're still repping Killer Instinct to this day. Uh, and it, it really... I think that's a game that deserves a lot more love. It's so much fun. Um but it, it, the Western fighting games, they're small in numbers, but the communities are hardcore. 
I have to know, and you would probably be the person that has the answer for this. How is the cons- or what is the consistent consensus around that Power Rangers fighting game? Battle it's, for the grid. It's 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 small. It's yeah. small, but um, there's definitely when it came out, there was definitely a little bit of hype behind it. Not like when I say a little bit of hype, I don't mean like like a huge deal. But people were interested because um, team fighters are always popular, um, especially with the big void that's been left with the absence of Marvel vs. Capcom. And that Power Rangers game is very similar um, technically uh, to Marvel vs. Capcom. It's it's a it's a little bit slower than Marvel vs. Capcom, but it still kind of has those core um, the core values of Marvel vs. Capcom, and uh, I think that kind of helped it out. Ultimately, though, it was always going to be a niche fighter. It was never going to be a big yeah. deal. Um, but there seemed to have been some strong support for it. Um, and, and those games are always just going to have small core communities. Um, it's it's probably never going to grow any bigger, but they're, they're always going to have a dedicated community. Well, that's good. Maybe it's good. I don't know. They probably wish their game was bigger. But Every fighting game every, community yeah, wishes so, their game was bigger. So there you go. It's as good as you. It's as good as you think it is. Thank you very much. That was quick news. Not so quick this time. We're already about a half hour in. But hey, it's fun to talk about. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about E3. It is the season. Stick around. Thank you. Action, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back oh, to the talking, talking, uh, talking games with Christo podcast. Talking coffee with Christo podcast. Now that is a name. Talking right Christo there. with coffee. We can talk Christo. Um, I could talk about Christo for hours. I got so many stories about this guy. You have certain stories, and if there was ever a talking coffee with Christo podcast, I got. St- uh, no, I got, no, there's, I got, no, 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 I got. Okay, we're, start, not, we're, yeah, not no. Doing, we're not doing that podcast. That's, let's uh, let's ignore that. That's one. what I thought. Uh, okay, let's get in, right into this E3 business because tis the season, but you wouldn't know it because it just feels kind of quiet. It's kind of an ominous vibe around E3 this year, mostly because a lot of key players are not really doing that much. Some it's good news, some it's not so good news. The good news, there is no EA press conference this year, which I am so in favor of. They just announced times that they will be live streaming their big games. They're doing like a specific gameplay debut for Jedi Fallen Order. They're talking Battlefield. They're talking um, not Need for Speed. Actually, they're not. They're actually, for whatever the reason, not bringing e- uh, Need for Speed there. Which honestly, who the fuck cares? Um, yeah, they're Maddens. They're Fifas. You don't have to listen to Pele talking about soccer forever. So that's good. Sony's not going, and it doesn't seem like they 
really need to because they are stealing uh they're stealing the news day from everybody today especially because uh i don't know if you remember but we watched the e3 2016 conference in my old apartment yes i remember that and that was sony's first time announcing that kojima had formed a new studio and has been kind of enveloped in the sony umbrella and you saw that big old smile on my face when yeah. I saw Kojima because... And hey, I didn't expect to see him so soon because... I don't, think, I don't think a lot of people did, honestly. And on that topic of not expecting to see anything so soon... Listen, when Death Stranding was shown, I am like... I, I was incredibly confused as anybody should have been because that, you know... Whether you're a diehard Kojima head like myself mm-hmm. or somebody who's a casual player of Kojima games or even somebody that's never played a Kojima game, you will be confused by his trailers because they're almost always a diversion of, of what he is actually going to make the game. Um, and I feel like if anybody else did that, that would be like misleading your audience. That would be... Yeah. We would scream at him. We, well, we... I think the thing is, a lot of people expect this out of Kojima because Kojima kind of styles himself more as an artist, and I'm not, and I don't mean to say that people that other people that make games aren't artists in their own right. I think that's but, what you're saying. But but Kojima kind of, he's very much about making a a story about having like these deep themes and like trying to make his his games more of like this like masterpiece of art more so than like this just game that I sit down and play it. Like, he just wants you to, like, think about things. And, 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 and you think about Metal Gear Solid 2, the themes of Metal Gear Solid 2, which we look at today and it's like, holy shit, Dude, he that, was onto something. That two-minute segment where Jack is talking to the colonel and Rose, and it's all distorted. Yeah. Some of the shit that goes on in there, it's like he was seeing 20 years into the yeah. future. And, and that's, and that's kind of what makes, I think, people look at Kojima and they just go... This guy is brilliant. And then there's some people who just go, this guy's a complete hack. And, I mean, and, and that's what I, I think that's what I love most about him. Here's the thing about the one thing that brilliant people and hacks have in common is that everyone thinks that they're onto something. And I feel like with this, with the theme of this Death Stranding uh, trailer, it again is very, um, what's the word? It's very, it's kind of seeing beyond itself in its theme where it's kind of relating incredibly loosely and it's kind of pointing us in the direction like hey if if modern politics in the modern world goes the way it's continuing to go there's some type of dystopia that is eventually going to arrive at you know the, and, un- the unfortunate reality is that we might be looking at this game in 20 years and saying oh my god kojima was right again yeah why didn't we listen to this guy i don't understand but again, we don't have to wait very long for this. No, we November don't. 8th, 2019. So let's stop for a second. Because Metal Gear Solid Five came out in September of 2015. You can tell, real quick, you, you can tell like just how unhappy he was in that whole scenario when he was finally given a chance to speak, when he was legally like allowed to speak because Konami put a yeah. gag order, uh, uh, order on him for basically most of the press of Metal Gear Solid Five. Um in this point in time, he has somehow taken people with him to establish a studio. He has b- built a bigger studio, probably with the help of Sony. Is like Sony probably wrote him a blank check. Is like, listen, whatever you need. But he got the people, and not just the staff. He got the actors. 
Like, what the fuck is going on with this thing? I, I think it also helps when you have Guillermo del Toro attached to your work. Uh, yeah. And that guy brings a lot of credibility in Hollywood. Uh, it's a Silent Hills reunion. Yeah, it is. And and that's the thing. You could tell these guys wanted to work together so badly. Yeah. You know, you could tell del Toro is a fan of Kojima and vice versa because Kojima constantly raves about him. And you know he's a big movie buff. Yeah. Do um, you think Mads Mikkelsen was going to be in Silent Hills? That's a great question. I think he was. He I think he was probably going to fill the same villainous role as he as uh, he seems to be doing in this that, one. That, that's actually uh, kind of interesting. You're probably onto something. I think a lot of this is kind of, you know, maybe not so much the story, but just the game itself is a lot of what he really wanted to do with Silent Hills. I yeah. think he, I think he really wanted to make a game with all these big time actors, and I and I kind of get that. So we we saw that new trailer. Uh, drop today. Mm-hmm. I actually just watched it momentarily uh, a, a couple uh, minutes ago. <laughs> minutes ago. Wow, it was like, it's like over an hour ago. <laughs> like two hours um, ago. I, I've lost track of time. Um, but I was at work, so I didn't get a chance to see it until just now. And, I, you know, there's that one scene where uh, Norman Reedus is in the forest and, and, you know, he starts seeing the, those, whatever they are, I guess, you know, demons or aliens or whatever they are. And you start getting, like, all tense. And it's like, man, that feels, like, Silent Hill-esque. Like, Mm -hmm. that's almost, like, not exactly what he wanted to do, but the style is similar to what he wanted to do. And I don't know if you agree with me. I also feel it reminds me an awful lot of The Skulls. Oh. From Phantom Pain. Absolutely. Yeah. The the first trailer um, where they show Del Toro and Maz Mikkelsen, everyone online was like, that was like the skull view. Those was the skulls. Like yeah. that was exact same thing, and that's why a lot of people who were still on the Ruse cruise, myself included at the time, were like, "This has to be Metal Gear Solid." Yeah. It, it's literally the same stuff he was using in Metal Gear Solid Five. I'm happy you got out of that because I... this will eventually kill those people. You understand that? Oh yeah, I I just skimmed through. Uh, it's a subreddit called Never Be Game Over, and uh, it's a bunch of conspiracy theorists. Who think that there's a deeper meaning behind Metal Gear Solid Five? Which, unfortunately, I've come to find there is no deeper meaning. Kojima was just sad and did not want to make a Metal Gear game, which we've known this for a long time. The guy does not want to work on Metal Gear Solid anymore. He wanted to do something different. Yeah. Um, and, and when he finally, when he finally wanted to finish his last Metal Gear Solid, last as quote unquote, they cut his budget, they cut his time, they cut his fucking living conditions yeah so know. so um, it's just this is a nightmare scenario th- this game is what he wanted to do and mm-hmm. whether it's good or not you know obviously we don't know because the game comes out in november but this is what he wanted to do this is it's it's not metal gear solid yeah it's it's not zone of the enders it's not any of those properties he worked at um previously this is a brand new title it's his idea coming to fruition coming to life and that it's such a fresh idea with a fresh staff and fresh cast. It's just going back to it again. I can't get over how fucking crazy it is that this whole thing got done in three years. It's insane to me. And what's funny about what's funny about this past week, because listen, it's been quiet around E3, as I mentioned before, up until this morning. And we are recording on uh, Wednesday, May 29th, I believe it is. Yes, May 29th. And I posted episode three this morning. I was like, okay, cool. You know, E3 is going to happen. We're going to be able to be right on top of news. No, 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 no. Everybody and their fucking grandmother has announced that, oh, remember that game that got announced like three or four years ago? It's showing up. And this happened a couple of weeks ago with Final Fantasy VII Remake of all fucking things. 
I thought that game was vaporware for the longest time, which it was. I still kind of believe that up until the time that Square Enix had to sort out the higher-ups, dealing with Kingdom Hearts 3 and Final Fantasy VII Remake having the same director. You know, Nomura was obviously stretched way too thin, and I think Square Enix has the tendency to announce things without Nomura's knowing. It's like, hey, by the way, you're director of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is ridiculous. I don't understand how literally anything gets done under under that uh, under that roof, and it cl- very clearly doesn't because this game maybe took four or five years and this is just episode one this game is still episodic remember so there's that and not only that square enix is also bringing that avengers game that crystal dynamics is going to work on crystal dynamics being being the people that worked on tomb raider remember they were supposed to make a fucking avengers game that's finally showing up we were wondering where that was for the last three or four years is it i i, I don't necessarily know if it's ready to launch i it's just ready to show between those three, Death Stranding, Avengers, Final Fantasy VII, uh, fucking Shenmue Three is coming out in August. I'm not saying the quality of that game, but it feels like this year is kind of the last three or four years of relatively empty promises finally coming to a head. I think a lot of it has to do with these are you know big budget titles like the the AAA uh, concept. Now it's like we're announcing the plans. Uh, years in advance, and we're saying, "Hey, we're, we have this Final Fantasy VII remake coming out, um, but don't expect it anytime soon, yeah. and don't expect us to show you anything anytime soon. We we showed you this brief clip. Don't expect anything for the next couple of years because mm-hmm. we, this is a triple A title, and especially with Square Enix, who are the biggest offenders of delaying, 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 delaying. Yeah, which I, I, you know, in some ways, I get it. They want to make a perfect game." And yeah, but you like, don't ship what Kingdom Hearts 3 turned out to be. And I'm not saying the game was bad, necessarily. You don't ship that game as it was, having spent the, the oh, six no, years on it that you I did. Agree. It's not necessary. Well, whether whether the game is perfect or not is debatable, um, but that's what they want to do. They, always, they, they like to take their time and be very meticulous about these things. And so Square Enix is notorious for delaying, delaying, delaying. But like now, it feels like that's just commonplace now. If yeah. you're a big AAA title, you're not coming out anytime soon. You, you know, Death Stranding got announced, and it felt like that game was gonna come out in like the next you know 50 years. Mm. It felt like that game was gonna take forever to come out because you look at the scope of it, the actors, the the uh, the graphics. You're just like this. There's no way this game comes out anytime soon. But now we have a date, November 2019. It's Insane. a couple of months away. And and really, that's a testament to how hard of a worker Kojima is, and how hard of he must have worked his entire staff. Because I can't imagine how much overtime they put into that game. Yeah. The crunches that they had to do were probably brutal. Um, and and that's yeah. why I hope that you game, hope not. But oh uh, yeah, but yeah. it's just part of the culture, and and especially for Kojima. I mean, I hear there's a lot of talk about Kojima as a you know as a boss, um, just being notorious for really working his guys hard Mm -hmm. and and that's kind of the whole like idea of him being this like you know this artist you know he 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 works and overworks and overworks and overworks because everything has to be perfect to him every little intricate detail has to be perfect and he's gonna work his guys to the bone and death stranding is what happens when you when you give this guy free reign resources really because it it really does feel like Sony just wrote him a blank fucking check. Yeah. It's like just whatever you want. And, and and I'm a Kojima head, so I hope it's good. But honestly, for all the people that worked on that game, I hope it's a success because I I, really I, so. I I'm sure they worked to the bone on that game. Yeah. 
And yes, I will be pre-ordering it because I want that steel book. And I want that baby. And you're wa- giving me the baby. I, I wanted the I wanted the art book so bad in that in that big collector's edition. I just I don't want a baby in a capsule. Give me the baby. I told you I will take the baby. From if, you. if you seriously want the baby in the capsule, I'll consider getting the collector's edition. I f- I hereby formally state that I want the baby in the capsule. Book me for it. I, I I'll, maybe I'll buy the collector's edition. I definitely don't want that baby. Okay. And, and I say you're that getting, as, you're buying that baby. I, and I say that as a a man who loves his Kojima games. I don't know if I can uh, if I can buy a, a baby in a capsule. You're gonna buy a baby in the capsule. All right, I'm gonna buy the baby in the capsule. Yeah, there he is. Okay. So the point around this is that it's so strange how. These three pillar games, Death Stranding, Avengers, and Final Fantasy VII Remake, are guaranteed to be shown. But for the greater scope of things, E3 has been relatively quiet. As I mentioned before, Sony and EA not really doing formal press conferences. But I want to talk to you because you and I are friends for a long time and we are both fans of this particular company, for better or worse. Um, There is not a whole lot of noise surrounding what's going on at Nintendo. But when you stop and think about it, there's got to be something. Now, I mentioned in the last couple of episodes that I don't necessarily want to do a list by list of, like, what do we think we're going to see? I think it's... it's The year is too interesting for that because this is kind of like... This is like the Switch's bl- uh, bloom year. You know, this thing is on track to outsell the Super Nintendo um, by the end of the fiscal year. And by that point, like, you're dealing with a real contender in the modern gaming space, regardless of the actual type of hardware that it is. So what I think is more interesting is just the the kind of software they have right now and really what what else is what else is left is kind of a silly question but it is kind of that because you already hit the major mario and zelda notes you got a you got the pokemon coming this year you're hitting the animal crossing note uh you already got smash brothers out you got a mario party out you got mario kart already splatoon is a new franchise um and this year in particular feels like it's catering towards the 3ds audience that's going away so i you know it's kind of interesting because i think back two years ago when we were talking about this and we always talk every year around e3 about yeah. our our feelings on it and two years ago i think we were feeling the same way it just felt like e3 was not important anymore uh it, the, the importance of it has definitely lessened over the years and 2019 Absolutely. 2019 it feels about as irrelevant as it's ever felt um do you remember real quick not to cut you off in 2013, that was the first year Nintendo said that they're not doing yes, a formal press conference. They said they're doing a direct instead. Everyone wrote them off as like, oh, they're they're like this is insane. They're on a downward it's spiral. Becoming the standard now. It is one of those two things between Nintendo and E3. One of those two things did eventually die. Just not a lot of people expected it to be E3 itself. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's just in in the age of the internet really becoming so mainstream it almost feels like it was a matter of time before this kind of became of lesser importance mm-hmm. you can drop news at any moment social media will go crazy look at the death stranding announcement death stranding announcement came all of a sudden everybody's talking about it because the thing had been so secretive for so long and the trailers had been so confusing what that when they dropped a nine minute trailer and a release date all of a sudden everyone's talking about it they didn't need that to had, wait for that had three. well over a hundred thousand uh viewers live by yeah. the way that was for a i'm not even going to say trailer because no one knew what the fuck it was going to be yeah. for one single game in the middle of a wednesday 
It was it it on Eastern Standard Time was noon. Yep. When that dropped. You don't get those types of numbers for things, especially, and you're two weeks out from E3. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, they dropped it two weeks out of E3. They could have waited the two weeks for E3, but they realize it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah. They might, they might have some more content at E3, but the thing is, they've already dropped the release date. They've already dropped the yeah. big trailer. So it's like, anything other than this, it's just the cherry on top. Right. They've already done the big announcement. Yeah. So E3 just feels of lesser importance. With that said, though, I think Nintendo has kind of been... Uh, keeping the cards close to their their chest a little bit um they've been even quieter than usual which we know they tend to be very quiet about um what they're going to be presenting right it feels even quieter and that's why i think this year they're going to be talking about a lot of stuff at e3 and i kind of think this is a make or break year for nintendo uh specifically because the success of the switch has been so great they've been hitting a lot of the uh bigger franchises that they've had um especially the ones that have come out and the ones that are still to come yeah i think this has to be a big year where the third party steps up because we have all those big nintendo games and we're gonna get other nintendo games right either announced or unannounced at this point no but all the big ones are basically done like we got them already we're not even three years in um so it's either they're gonna have to come up with something new which is always uh, for me personally uh nintendo has been pretty good at creating original uh new original content over the last couple of years um and i think it's this is time for the third party games to step up because Mm -hmm. look the switch has proven it's sold it's proven that you can put these games on this console and it can be a success but we have so many just repackaging of older games and, and I, in some respects I like that I like bringing back some of these older games that maybe we didn't get a chance to play as much because they were on the Wii U or something like that yeah. but ultimately we, we need newer content we can't just keep repackaging old games and putting them on the Switch I think there needs to there needs to be some sort of newer content uh, from third-party games, and I we, think that's kind of make or break for them this year. We need more situations like Marvel Ultimate Alliance three. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. a big, that you know, Marvel Ultimate Alliance is a, uh, a a brand that has some nostalgic value to it. I mean, that game goes back what two thousand four was Ultimate Alliance one. I want to say it was two. No, that's that's Somewhere not that's not right. Though, but it's been quite some time. I mean, that's a game that's been around for quite some time. It it, it definitely had its fans. I mean. We, we know people that aren't that big into playing video games as much anymore, but they loved Ultimate Alliance, yeah. you know, growing up. For sure. And, and I think that coming back, that's a big boost. It's like, oh, dude, I used to love Ultimate Alliance. Now there's a third one coming out, and it's Switch exclusive. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, a big deal, right. you know? I, and hopefully that game is as good as the first two, because I, I think that's a great title. I and think Nintendo, that that game is perfect for the Switch. Nintendo's been very good uh, this generation with stepping up as far as helping with development, steering the ship in certain ways when it needs to be steered. Uh, you think about the stories that centered around Mario and Rabbids about how um, that team, Ubisoft Milan, pitched Nintendo and Miyamoto, which probably was a fucking terrifying ordeal, um, uh, their concept for this game. And they were like, you know what? This is actually pretty impressive. How did you build all these Mario assets? It's like, oh, we just love the characters. And they're like, you know what? This is okay. Miyamoto said to this guy, like, I'm challenging you to not make a traditional run-and-jump Mario game, make a Mario game that is completely different. It was originally going to be the Rabbit's crossover, it was always going to be that, but it's like, no, we're going to make this, like, this XCOM tactical thing now. And it turns out not only is it a big seller, it's critically acclaimed, and it's another example of Nintendo giving trust to people 
because you they're... arguably their biggest property. Yeah, arguably their biggest property. I, I don't mean, even. I don't even think it's arguable. I think and, it is. And, and obviously, period. Ubisoft is not. They're not some small potato brand. No, but still. I mean, this is like Disney renting out Mickey Mouse to... Well, I mean, I guess they did do that. They gave it to Square Enix. But yeah. it's just like... But that's still a huge deal. Mm-hmm. The fact that Disney just let all these huge Disney characters be lent out to Square Enix, it's the same kind of deal. Yeah. You're lending out Nintendo's equivalent of Mickey Mouse to this other company and saying, make a game. Mm-hmm. And, and they knocked it out of the park. They made the rabbits likable. Yeah. Like, that's, think about that. That is so true. Because the rabbits were just in, they were the minions so of video games. They were, and they were they were so impossibly intolerable. And that game was filled with so much charm, and I loved those characters. I really did. They were genuinely funny when they were put next to people that kind of gave them a little bit of extra context in a way that Rayman couldn't. But then forget about Mario and Rabbids. The next year, Starlink Battle for Atlas was already announced the year prior, and all of a sudden. This lady's calling for help, and the whole fucking Star Fox crew rolls in. Yeah. And you know me, I'm a tremendous Star yes, Fox guy. I fucking love these. I, I think out of all of Nintendo's brands based on characters alone, I think Star Fox is one of their uh, brands with the highest potential as far as what can be done with these characters. And they they sound better than they've ever sounded. They look in the CG cutscenes better than they've ever looked. The R-Wing looks like the R-Wing and not like... You know this actual like this more modernized version. No, it looks like the angular R. Again, it's just a matter of Nintendo gave their trust to a te- to a team that clearly cares about the brand, and they did the right thing with it. It puts it sets a precedent, I think, for like what you were talking about, where they have to kind of give third parties the time to shine, and they have to remind everybody, like, hey, this is not just a this is not just a Nintendo only console, like our last two or three consoles have been. And I could see Ubisoft coming out of the gate again this year with something with something similar. I just have not a single clue what it could possibly be. And I think that's for the better because I don't think I could have predicted Star Fox and Starlink either. Yeah, no, the mystery is what makes it so much more exciting is uh, Nintendo. And I, I shouldn't say it's it's not only Nintendo, but any of these, these um, companies are prone to having this kind of surprise element to them Mm -hmm. and and i think nintendo right now is experiencing that where they've kept so quiet that it's like we have no idea what they're gonna show and 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 they do that so often and and they tend to surprise us in good ways and bad ways sometimes Mm -hmm. um uh but i I, i'm excited for it i I, you know i I would like to see a no more heroes 3 yeah um he's 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 up to something yeah I, and to me, he can't again, stop talking about the, about this announcement that he has at E3. It's crazy. Again, the Switch to me feels like the perfect console uh, for No More Heroes Three. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it, it just feels right. I, I think that now is the time. I mean, especially uh, because that that series has kind of got back into the collective conscience again. Yeah. Uh, people remember that game. People are thinking about that game again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now is the right time to drop it. I agree. Um, and E3 feels like that right place, right time to do that. Absolutely. When we talk about um, more first-party Nintendo stuff, when we think about what they have on the docket versus what will be enough to fit inside their presentations, and their presentations are always interestingly worded, I'll say, because I don't know if you remember, the first one that they did digitally was just a Nintendo Direct, and it was a Nintendo Direct as formally 
the Nintendo Direct was back in that time. Next two years were digital events. That's when the presentation was more grand and they put more effort into it They in the vein of Robot Chicken and the Jim Henson puppets. And then the spotlights, which were kind of these short 25-minute things, but I don't really know what made them spotlights. This one is just called another Direct again. So what's what has me thinking is that this is going to be like the headline style that we're going to see before, but they had a Mario Maker 2 Direct. They will have a Pokemon Sword and Shield um, Direct before E3, so it will be separate from everything. And those are your two biggest games of the year. What's left on the docket is not nearly enough to fill the time. Metroid? Of... I, I, I know I... it was just rebooted, but I feel like they're going to try and get something to show. I hate that I'm being that optimistic, but I feel... I, I don't know. You can't have Retro Studios be quiet for for six years in a row. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not one of the believers of the Star Fox Grand Prix rumor personally, and I I think it's just been a little too wishy washy with how people have been going with how with how people have been getting their sources for it, but I, I that that is a I don't think Retro stays quiet for that long. I think if if they don't show a separate thing, then something Metroid uh will be shown since they've been given the they've been given the reins on Prime yeah. Four. I, I I think that's. To me personally, and I, I've always kind of scoffed at the idea of Metroid being shown um, at E3 for Nintendo the last couple of years. I've always just, to me, it just never felt like it was going to happen. But it, it seems so quiet. And again, we've talked about how the brands, the big names, we've already either gotten those games or they've been announced and they're coming out soon. Mm. Metroid feels like that one game where they did announce, you know, bringing back Metroid, but then we didn't hear too much of anything mm-hmm. um it feels like they're kind of keeping that qu- really quiet because they're about to drop that big news right and trying to win us back after they've righted the ship yeah and i think metroid it feels like they're gonna make an announcement even if the game doesn't come out till 2021 it would not um, be the first time they've teased the game for yeah, three years exactly i yeah. mean it's at Breath like of the a, wild has been teased for around that but like we, you know like we were just talking about you know this seems like the standard is to just say hey this is a game but it's not coming out for you know x amount of years mm. so they could very well show metroid and this would be the big centerpiece and just say well it's actually not coming out for like two years yeah but at least there it is you got to see some gameplay footage you got to see the fact that it does exist we got like a rough estimate of when it's going to come out I, it feels like now might be the time where we see metroid but that's my bold prediction for yeah. E3. And speaking less in terms of predictions and more in terms of just absolutes, you have four Smash DLC characters you know are still on the docket. We are already a month removed from the last one that got released, which was Joker. I find it very unlikely that we don't see at least one more, possibly even two more. I I like the idea of two. I like the idea of two as well. we there was a pretty big layoff in my opinion of um between the announcement of the fact that we're going to get DLC and then the first DLC dropping first DLC character dropping um i i feel like they're going to do two uh in succession um which is is always really exciting um yeah. you know i i recall um you know Tekken 7 uh when they did the uh Geese Howard 
reveal they revealed two characters before that and it was just like it was like huge it just like you get like one after another after another I, oh i'm sorry i didn't mean geese howard i meant um a negan this. oh a negan. negan you know they showed right, yes they, they showed uh two characters prior and it was just like they kind of get you you're just like oh man two you know old school tekken characters got dropped that's awesome and then all of a sudden boom they hit you with like the the outside of the scope of Tekken and outside of video games character and that's like the huge moment and I think like hell they might drop three characters it doesn't mean that they all have to come out soon but it could mean like here's all three of them and you get like that third one for last like they kind of like throw you off guard by showing you two of like the bigger ones and then they hit you with the gargantuan one let's have fun with predictions give me give me one you think is a no brainer and another one on your wish list as far as Smash characters go. Well, my wish list... I, I, I've always said Shovel Knight would have been perfect. I know he's an assist, so yeah. it's impossible. But he... Shovel Knight would have been so perfect for that game. He I think it would have been, been so perfect he for that game. Great. He fits the style. He fits that game. I think he would have just been the, no, the no-brainer wish list uh, character. Um, lately... To me, I know he's kind of heavily, or yeah, I guess the primary avatar of this character is male. But regardless of being heavily rumored, I think um, Erdrick from Dragon Quest. Uh, there's there's too much smoke around it, I think, and just with the amount that Nintendo is involved in pushing Dragon Quest in the West, I feel like this will be, uh, this will be some. This will pro- This is to me is the no brainer. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, Nintendo has also... We've had Smash characters that really weren't even prominent in the West. Yeah. Um, and then they just put them in there and they became household names. So what's stopping them from putting him in this game? Right. It doesn't matter if he's, like, well-known or not. The common example of that is Fire Emblem. People forget. Exactly. In Smash 64, no one knew who Ness was. Like, Earthbound was, was beyond niche. And all of a sudden... Well, Earthbound was Earthbound was popular, but it was po- it, it, I believe it was more popular with a older demographic that really wasn't playing um, games like Smash Bros. Like we, you know, we were much younger when a game like Earthbound came out, mm-hmm. so we didn't really get into it. Maybe until we were later, uh, older um, in age. Right. Whereas the people that played, like for instance, my brother, my brother grew up playing Earthbound, but he didn't. By the time Smash Brothers came out, he didn't. He was too old for that game. And I'm not saying you can't be like a certain age and not play it. Okay. Just he was on. To, he was playing Sega. You know, Sega systems. He was. He kind of felt like Nintendo was too kiddie for him at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because he's a teenager. He's a. Right. And and I, I think that demographic was just different. We didn't really get that exposed to NES and Earthbound in general um, at that time. But he became a household name for us. Right. But I'm saying Smash makes household names. Yeah, that's what sure. it does. If Erdrick is in, regardless, like you have you have Joker in, and his game is not even on the Switch right yeah, now. No. I shouldn't say that it's coming in the sense in the way of Scramble, the Muso. Yes, persona, the I game that everybody it. wanted. I'll play it, but it's, I like Musos. It's, you know, but the thing is, when you're hyping up Persona Five, you know, people are expecting Persona Five, right? And it and it is really funny how. Um, Reggie was at the Game Awards and talking about Joker and Persona 5 and without even acknowledging that the the game 
that hosts the character you're advertising is just not on your platform. Yeah. Which, listen, yeah. it's it's cool that he does that because it shows that, okay, we have this character we believe is iconic and we believe he deserves time to shine and that proves that Smash Brothers is kind of this um, Hall of Fame, if you will, and not just like the look at all the Nintendo shit that, that exists. Yeah. And I, I think mean, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he de- does deserve a place there because uh, Persona 5 has become a, I'd say is probably the biggest Persona game that's ever come out. Mm-hmm. And and not to say Persona is a small uh, franchise, but Persona 5 really got a lot of mainstream press. Yeah. Uh, and it became a much bigger household name based off that game. Absolutely. Um, and Joker kind of feels right in terms of that pantheon of like, oh, like look at all these Smash characters; these are all big names. Mm-hmm. He feels right at home there. Right. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate that the game that we're going to get on Switch isn't Persona Five or Persona Five Arena because I think more people would have been interested in a fighting game over a Musou game. In my opinion, and as somebody who grew up loving Dynasty Warriors, mm-hmm. loving Dynasty Warriors, I would have preferred. Uh, a Persona 5 Arena more so than a Musou game. Fair enough. So aside from Shovel Knight, hit me with your wish list. Wish My list wi- character. Uh, wish list? I'm going to go on a limb here. I got to go with Birdo. Birdo? I like Birdo. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You like, I, I, you like I, I, some Birdo? I think Birdo would have been a, a, a good choice there. Uh, would have been... Uh, it's a little out of left field, but I feel like Birdo's kind of a memorable character. Yeah. Um... Maybe, uh, well, this is never going to happen, but should I say him? Say him. It's Waluigi. Of course it is. And and I hate to bring him up because he's become such a meme, and like people were like real dicks about the fact that he wasn't in this uh, Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. But like, you know me. I legitimately loved Waluigi. Dude, like, I've been a great... Waluigi main for every sports and yeah. cart game that I've ever played. There's that's not to discount the actual character of Waluigi. I think he's a fucking great character. And I won't even say that he needs like something of his own because Daisy's in the game and Daisy has nothing, literally nothing of her own besides the Game Boy Super Mario Land. I don't know why they don't see Waluigi as a play as a playable thing. Really, I don't. And and and, and that's the thing is that they made it worse by, you know, all those idiots that made it into such a meme, and then they took it. They started sending death threats and stuff like that. And it's like, well, now it's going to be even harder for Waluigi to get in this game yeah. because you became such assholes about it that now they're not going to want to put him in there just to spite you. Right. And that makes me annoyed because I like, I actually like Waluigi. Yeah. I, I've Mario Tennis, Mario Kart, Mario Party. I play as Waluigi all yes. the time. And you like know, Waluigi and you're of stable mind to not yes. tell people to die. Yes. When they didn't announce Waluigi as one of the characters in this game, I said, wow, that's disappointing, but whatever. Yeah. I, I, I'll move on. But then there's people that took the meme so far and they were just like, I gotta send death threats to Nintendo because they didn't put Waluigi in a character I actually don't care about, but I got so wrapped up in the meme of it. That now I just feel the need to be a toxic asshole. Exactly. You can die, sir. But Thank you very much. Despite that, he is my wish list. Of I, course. Waluigi will always be the I would love nothing more than to play as him in Smash. Hey, man. I long for the day where you see it. I will say one character I think would be so awesome mm-hmm. would be Bomberman. I, Again? I, you got I, you you kind of got him? See, here's, what, here's, here's something that I think can solve everybody's problem. Limited functionality, kind of equal physics depending, like, 
equal physics and like generic weights like have a light character like don't go so crazy how you how you do with the main roster make assist trophies playable in some way in like a lighter lighter way i understand it'll still be a tremendous amount of work but in the same way like bomberman and knuckles like characters in that type of weight class they'll have them control similar ways give them different attacks obviously but like they don't have to be these in-depth characters but give something we won't get that until the next Smash game in we 20 years. And the next Smash... Yeah, the next Smash... Blah, blah, blah. The next Smash game is likely not happening for a while. Which is good. You know what? This is a, this is an aside from Smash. By the way, my wish list is Banjo. Banjo is not off the table. Um, he's not. My, Phil Spencer, no, I agree with you. Phil no, Spencer's I, all in. I, I think it... He's honestly, all in on Twitch right now. It, it makes <laughs> sense. Where did Banjo-Kazooie really... That is Nintendo. Banjo-Kazooie were supposed to be in Smash 64 alongside King Dedede alongside James Bond. That would have been so goofy. Yes. We got to get Pierce Brosnan to do the mocap. That would have been he's not so dead, right? goofy. Pierce Brosnan? Pierce Brosnan's I alive. Don't. I think he's alive. Oh, he I, I haven't looked. I haven't looked up his Wikipedia. Yeah. All right. Well, he's so. alive and he's going to do the mocap for James Bond in Smash Brothers. But I want Sakurai more than anything else, more than any other Smash character, get him away from this for a little while. Trust the balancing or like he needs to like have a protege that he can like trust to balance this for the years to come because I'm assuming that this is going to be the Smash game on the market for like the next I'm hoping like five or six years because I feel like the space in between um, Smash Four and Smash Ultimate was rather short. It was a little too short for my liking. I think they just wanted to kind of eliminate the the. Uh, well, that's because Smash Four was kind of the. Uh not so heralded game of, right. of that series uh, it, is, it, just, it came out on the wrong system the wrong time people didn't really care for the way it played mm-hmm. uh it was everything that could have went wrong for it kind of felt like it went wrong and and smash ultimate felt like a correction on that it really um did. better better system that has a bigger player base uh better gameplay while the game kind of looks very similar to smash 4 and i'm not saying it's the same it's it's got kind of got that similar look to it. It feels like it has polished. the same skeleton. Yes. Yeah. Um. But you know, just a totally different game, and it's just an improvement on that. Right. So it almost feels like Smash Four was almost like the beta test for yeah this game. Absolutely. And by the way, we know we know it's not the case. Like we know that's not actually like this isn't Ultimate is not four point five. We know that. Um. Anyway, I feel like Sakurai. I'm reminded of Kid Icarus Uprising. And, like, when Sakurai was able to take a Nintendo property and, again, Nintendo writes him a blank check. It's like, yeah, whatever you need. You're you're making the star title for our new handheld. You're reviving an old IP that who's, like, who is based on a character that you revived in Smash Brothers. Here you go. Do whatever you want. And the quality of Kid Icarus Uprising is unreal. Not saying we haven't seen this quality from Smash Brothers, but we haven't seen the quality of a game like this from Sakurai in far too long. And I just want the man to make another game yeah. that is like well, that. It, it's it to me, it's similar to Kojima. Mm-hmm. Uh, not maybe not so much that he's kind of handcuffed to the company and he's miserable and wants out, but just a guy who wants to do something different. He yeah. wants to do a different game, and that's what Kojima was begging to do a different game and they were like 
well, no, you know, Metal Gear Solid is too big of a cash cow right. for you to do something completely out of left field and different. And if Konami actually came to him and said, okay, we'll have someone else work on Metal Gear Solid, he's like, no, I got to do it yeah, because it's, it's his baby. Ca- yeah, it's, uh, just though, a Smash Brothers, a Sakurai's baby. It, it's not his creation, but it became his baby. Right. It became, you know, everything to him. And he's very particular about the details of that game. Mm-hmm. And, and Sakurai is pretty similar in that in that way that he's kind of handcuffed to this game that he wants to leave behind and do something different, but at the same time, he can't like let it go into somebody else's hands, even if he trusts them with his life, because to him, it's his baby, mm-hmm. it's 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 his life, yeah. and and unfortunately, you get handcuffed to those things. But right. for better or for worse, I mean, that's your identity, that's your life. Yeah. And well, speaking of companies having certain identities, my last uh, note on Nintendo's E3, I do believe that. Um, from their recent expansion as a studio, the Monolith Soft, big studio that was teasing um, that fantasy, that like medieval fantasy action RPG game through the concept art. Mm. Um, Xenoblade's been done for a while. I think it's far enough that they show something. And that's pretty much all I got. Otherwise, I'm ready to be surprised by whatever comes yeah, out. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm ready too. I mean, you know, it's been really quiet and almost to the point where I forgot it was even happening. Um, but... It did kind of creep up this year. Maybe yeah. that's just time moving faster as we uh, as we get older I think, and grayer. I think it's just I think it's just people not caring for it as much. Yeah. Um, but needless to say, when it happens, it's still going to dominate the the headlines. Yeah. Um, but just the lead up, there's the the anticipation is not as great as it once was, and we've known this for years. This is not a new phenomenon. Um, but. It, there's going to be something, yeah. and people will be talking about it, and it's just they're not going to be doing it on... It, it doesn't feel like the stage is as grand as it once was, but the yeah. announcements will still be pretty big, and yeah. I think we'll still be talking about them uh, for the next couple of months probably. Just because the vibes of the old, the olden years are gone does not mean it's still not going to be a hell of a week. That's episode four in the books of the Talking Games with Christo Talks Games podcast with coffee. Uh, or as I like to uh, call it, Coffee Talks Games. This was episode one of the reboot. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be here with my uh, special guest host, Christo. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be back here too on episode four of my podcast, Talking Christo with Coffee. In all sincerity, thank you very much for... Thank you for having me. Of course. After I came home from work. Yes. I can't think of any better place than to be here in this very, very hot room <laughs> what talking about, games. What about in bed sleeping? I would much prefer to do that because I got work tomorrow. You do have work. I got work tomorrow. Well, we're I both got a fan running. Now. I got it's, a fan. It's I, not I that effective. I, I know. I believe, I, I'm trying to figure out a solution to this because uh, the it, window's busted. I gotta fix the window, I gotta get a screen for the window, then I gotta get an AC unit that's big enough to fit in the window, but doesn't completely ice me out in this room. It's a big, it's a whole big... I think you got I got a lot of balls in the air right now. Yeah, we, 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 gotta, we gotta get this whole room situated. It's not meant for two people in a closed door. You know what? Demolish the whole house. All right. We're done with We're it. We're tearing it down. Michael, if you're listening to this, brother Michael, the mortgage is, the mortgage is nulled. I'm knocking the house down, it's done. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode four of the Christo Talks Games podcast. Join me again at some point in the future when I'll be talking with somebody else or somebody or coffee again or just myself. I don't know. No promises. We do this because we have fun. 
and that's why you should live your life as well. Take care. Good night. Goodbye.